Hello everyone, I'm making a pre-intro to the intro. The first thing that you need to know about this podcast is it's a little bit different. This podcast is usually based on conjecture, my opinions on things like Instagram, on things like the internet, on things like men, on things like women, on things like politics, but today I wanted to be very factual. So I invited Devin on because he studied political science and he has a lot of knowledge about things that I don't know about. But you'll also see a difference in our opinions because I studied communication. So what I studied was a lot of rhetoric and how words build social reality so you'll see a lot or you'll hear a lot of things like that and you kind of hear this discrepancy which is I think good and why I had him in this podcast the second thing you guys need to know is that he calls me Rajon in the podcast which is my real name you may not know because I go by RJ the magician you've been listening to this for about a year and a half hopefully so if you don't know my name is Rajon so if you hear that don't let that throw you off the third thing that you guys need to know is that Devin is one of the smartest people I know he got scholarships to a bunch of top tier schools and chose to go to Beloit College which is a liberal art college in Wisconsin where he ended up being a political activist so you're like why why, why the fuck do I care about Wisconsin so listen to the podcast and maybe you'll know why you should care about Wisconsin even though I'm in New York and a lot of you guys are too Another thing is that we actually recorded this with the intention of also talking about an interview with Senator Tim Scott reacting to Joe Biden's words, Tim Scott being the only black Republican senator in the United States. But we actually didn't get to that, and I cut that for the next week's episode. So if you guys want to hear that, make sure you tune in next week. This podcast is actually kind of in the form of a reaction. You guys can actually watch this video. It is Charlemagne the God's Breakfast Club video with Joe Biden. And you guys can type in Breakfast Club Joe Biden on your computer. Just mute your computer and we'll give you timestamps for what we are looking at and what part of the video we are listening to. So you can follow along, which I definitely suggest. The last thing you guys need to know is that if you really, really, really don't want to hear about how Devin and I met or high school or any of the things that a little bit of background about us, then you can fast forward to maybe about 10 minutes in and you'll hear all the juicy, juicy details about Joe Biden. However, I suggest you listen to the whole thing because it's a great podcast, in my opinion. So remember, you can follow me at RJ the Magic Can. If you have any questions, shoot us a DM. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the I Hate Everyone podcast. Welcome to the I Hate Everyone podcast, the only podcast run by a 24-year-old black magician from Wisconsin. What a combination, featured by the New York Times, AM New York, Fox, ABC, NBC, and Complex News. And today, today, we have a guest. We don't usually have guests. I usually hate the idea of guests. However, something happened that I cannot explain. Something inexplicable happened and I needed some some backup to help explain this to me because I am not the most informed person ever. I try to stay current. I try to look at things objectively with rhetoric and whatnot, but I cannot tell you things that I have not learned or researched myself. So I had to bring in a guest, somebody that is politically active, someone I trust, somebody with ideals that are similar to mine, yet at the same time, I would argue radically different. We have my friend from high school, political activist, campaign coordinator, Devin Anderson. Devin, say hello. Hey, y'all. Rishan's like sort of gassed me up a little bit, but I'm super excited to have an intriguing conversation with Rishan, who I've known for a very, very long time. I wouldn't say I'm gassing you up. Like, we're both 24, and you're, I would say, like, relatively humbly it's my show so i would say relatively humbly you're one of the very few people that came from where i came from that is trying to do something uh bigger than themselves you know i I value that and i don't think many people do that coming from racine wisconsin i currently live in new york but you live in milwaukee which is according to usa today multiple years in a row the worst uh city in america in terms of like uh, segregation in terms of like minority oppression well, yeah, well, I, well, I still live in Racine, but I, I work in Milwaukee. You work in Milwaukee, but Racine's a suburb of Milwaukee, and I would argue Racine is worse. Uh, I don't know what you would say, but, like, I, I guess you love Racine, though. I think, like, I think Racine and Milwaukee have, like, obviously Milwaukee's a lot bigger, um, but they have, like, similar problems when it comes to racial disparity. I think, like, breaking down along like the lines of income along the lines of home ownership along the lines of education I think um no I, you know I just like Racine I think it's like for me it's just really uh pretty quiet pretty chill um but no like I'm thinking about probably like getting an apartment in Milwaukee at some point so I love them both 
It's like I'm building a new life in Milwaukee. All right, all right. This isn't uh this isn't like a racine podcast, this isn't a local podcast. I try to talk about yeah. all different kind of things. So we're talking today specifically what I saw that was uh troubling or at least noteworthy was two things. One was uh Joe Biden. The Joe Biden interview with Charlemagne, the guy that everyone's talking about on Twitter, white Twitter, black I guess white Twitter didn't really care, but black Twitter, <laughs> black Twitter. And then uh, the Tim, the Tim Scott interview, who is apparently the only Republican senator, I believe, uh, the only black Republican senator. Um, basically, the idea that we're, or the thing that we're talking about today is Devin hasn't heard this, which is interesting, but I guess that's good because it's sometimes it's good not to always be the first person to hear the everything that comes out. And uh, the thing that we are talking about is Joe Biden. It, it's Joe Biden, no matter what you think, he's done a lot. But this small, this, this clip, this 10 seconds, I believe, may have tanked the election for him. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But at the same time, we have to be careful because we don't, I think we don't want to look back on this and go, man, we fucked everything up because we overreacted to 10 seconds and that's kind of is this an overreaction is what we're going to talk about so we're going to play some clips we're streaming with Devin now so we're going to play them from a separate speaker so it might not be the best audio but you'll get the general idea we'll play some clips we'll get some reactions and uh well we're going to do two interviews the one with Joe Biden and see what he thinks about uh what he says in this interview and then we're also going to uh play the the, the one with Senator Tim and uh, they're two very different interviews, one uh, interviewing a white guy and one is interviewing a black Republican senator. So I think it's very interesting because they uh, it might be flips, flips of opinions or a flip, uh, something you wouldn't expect. You usually would expect something different from the description that I gave. So let's see, we'll get to this. All right, so you haven't heard this yet, right? No, I don't. I don't know what we're gonna hear. All right, all right. So you haven't heard this yet. We are gonna play. It's basically the Breakfast Club. If you don't know, the Breakfast Club is a is a radio show. They usually talk to hip hop artists and things like that. But every once in a while, someone comes on and they'll try to get support from Black people, whatever that looks like, whether it's politically, whether it's fiscally, something like that. You know. So it's uh, we we've seen it with uh, Hillary Clinton. You've seen that interview, correct? Yeah. Well, there's two of them. There's <laughs> there's two of them. The famous. Hillary Clinton, what do you keep in your bag? And she goes, hot sauce. And then he's like, you don't keep hot sauce in your bag. And she's like, I always do. And <laughs> how'd you feel about that before we get into that? Like four years ago, it was a long time ago, but still. You know, I think it's like, right, again, like, do I think Hillary Clinton was the best candidate? No, I do not. But I think like politics is like, right, so much of politics is relationships and like, right, we talk about like this term retail politics, like being able to have conversation, being able to relate to folks. And I think like, right. I think both of these are going to be examples of like white folks and white older folks, like, right. Um, or white. Yeah. They're older um, folks trying to like bring new people in and trying to relate to black folk. And I think both of them were fails because it looks like pandering. And I think like figuring out that fine line is like something like, Right. We've had presidents do like Bill Clinton figure 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 that out, but as it, like his wife didn't, and it doesn't look like uh, Joe Biden is. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. Something we talk about is we're kind of like getting into this like we're we're falling into this lesser of two evils thing. I and it's it's interesting because like I remember we were in high school at the same time and we took like sociology and stuff at the same time and whatnot, and it was an interesting time because we were in Andy. I don't know if you remember Andy Art, Art. Yeah, I remember Andy. Yeah, Andy yeah. was our... Uh, I, I, I've seen him out a couple times. I did not say hello to him either time. Yo, low-key, um, Andy was like... He was our teacher, and he was like sometimes a little bit of a weenie. He was a little soft. He was like, but I mean, that's okay. We were kind of mean yeah. kids. We were mean kids. <laughs> Looking back now. He hated when we called him Andy, because that was not his name. But we... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he just hated that. We were uh, always... But that was the time when... Um, that was a sweet spot in history. Epic rap battles of history was popping. That was back when uh, Obama and um, Romney were running. And that was, I think that was like the last time we saw kind of a campaign, not a campaign, an election where uh, people like, you know, I think if we had Romney, no one would have been like, holy shit, the world's going to end. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. 
I think I think like right. I think it's like so much has happened since like 2012. Like I remember 2012, or like I actually like missed the the election day in school, and I like I worked on um, I volunteered on Obama's voter protection team here in Wisconsin, and I think like I just remember like thinking like um, President Obama was like such a great candidate and like just such the ideal uh, politician. And I think like since then, like right, and we're gonna get into it. But like since then, like great, I've like there's been a lot of critiques that have come up against Obama, and a lot of them are valid, and like so valid. Like we think about like the uh, migrant community, the undocumented community, they leveled huge critiques against Obama uh, for his deport record on deportation, and we're seeing Joe Biden like get some of that heat. And I think like even like though like right, Obama's like was really great and in inspiring folks and bringing new folks out and like giving um, young folk in like in like many ways like plc folk um space in like campaign life i think he like failed in policy front and i think it's like really interesting now and like with the hindsight of history to have that conversation and like see like right the result of two terms of obama in terms of like the candidates we're now we're now left with yeah and that's a that's a valid point because i think uh like if we're going to talk about real black people if we're going to talk about like how that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit i really think uh, I'm going to say it, like, I don't know if Devin would agree, but I think a real Black person should have the choice, the, the ability to see, like, if someone brings up a valid critique of Obama, like, Obama wasn't perfect, and that's, like, he was, again, like, uh, we'll call him rhetoric, a motivational figure. He was uh, somebody that pushed society along, and but he could have had, or he did have policies that were not always the best for all black people because he was black people are really only 11 percent of the population if you think about it so it's it's if you only play to black people the chances of winning actually are are pretty slim in general you know yeah i think it's like interesting too to like right i think to think about like i think i've been doing a lot of reading on like some great folk like ella baker from the civil rights era who doesn't get much love it's a wonderful biography about Ella Baker that I'm like working my way through. I'm really like Angela Davis. And they're talking about like the critique of like the charismatic like black man in like movement space or leadership. And like they're critiquing that idea. And I think like, right. So like, there's so many policy critiques. In the I know like that might not be the conversation we want to have today, but I think like what came out of like, right. The Obama era um, and like, right, it was motivated by the, the deaths of, of, of black folk, like at the hands of vigilantes and like, and police or like that, that the state violence, the inherent state violence is like a new wave of organizations and leaders that like are still around for today. Like I think about the movement for black lives. I think about Dream Defenders. I think about like BYP 100 who are who, like, who are critiquing, critiquing that form of leadership and building new movements and like hopefully pushing an agenda for black liberation forward mm. in this moment. So I'm a very big proponent also of like practicing what you preach, right? So I get upset about something and I'm like, I'm gonna make a podcast and try to podcast weekly about things that I care about, or I'm going to write an op-ed and try to, you've seen my op-eds, I've also seen your op-eds, you know, so, but people also might be wondering, like, I guess maybe they are. So like uh, you were very active in high school, but you grew up to be somebody who is very active in the scene now. So what exactly do you do? I know you went to college at, oh shoot, Beloit. You went to Beloit College, a liberal arts college. Yeah. And what do you do now? Yeah, so he gave a really nice biography. So I went to Beloit College. Um, and I think really there, like I majored in education and political science, but really there I cut my feet, like got my chops as like an organizer and figuring out ways to like, to work with people and build like a collective analysis to get to get stuff done and to like move move an agenda forward. So I like I remember um, and like I'm still friends with them when I talk about book club of men with many of them. And I just remember like us having so many deep strategy sessions, figuring out like how can we hold this administration like the college's administration accountable for its treatment of black and brown students. And um, that really inspired me. So like just those moments of like late night conversations, like pushing folks, like some of the protests and like work we did there. And so um, as like college was wrapping up, I I was sort of deciding between like becoming a teacher or like joining, like trying to become an organizer. And so I like got both like organizing and teaching jobs and I turned them down and I took some time. So 
I jumped in, I jumped back in. Um, I, I was a field organizer for the Democratic Party in 2018. And then after that, I work at a nonprofit in Milwaukee and I'm still an organizer. And really the work I do in Milwaukee is like really focused on like trying to take some money from the police because like, right, we know for black and brown folk, the police don't keep us safe. Like, I think we see that time and time again, um, you know, in, in these in these cases of shooting, but also just in, in general life, in, in like how many of our people are are incarcerated or um or or somehow connected to the criminal legal system so we're trying to take money from the police and reinvest that money into programs that do keep us safe um more free health clinics for our people more um, opportunities for young folk in our community affordable quality housing um which in milwaukee is like few and far between so so that's what i do now still trying to like push an agenda because like our people deserve it um like i deserve it you deserve it we deserve it like our people deserve um change and there's there's two things right before i get into it that i just wanted to note the first thing is that you might think well like rj you're in new york like you're why wouldn't devin move somewhere important like new york but the thing is wisconsin is somewhere where the black population is severely underrepresented it's also indicative of america and also is uh i would say i would argue a republican swing state so arguably Devin has a job that's more important than being somewhere like New York or California that's already set because Devin's somebody that's going to actually like people like Devin are are people that will actually influence elections as opposed to places like again like New York and California like no one's taking away California's weed you know no one like the LGBTQ LGBTQ scene in New York is pretty safe you know no one's trying to take away that but in Wisconsin it could really go either way and in an election like the last one that we had someone like uh people like Devin are very important that's the first thing and then the second thing yeah. oh so, what are you gonna say then yeah I, I think like what we're seeing and I think this moment is like super extraordinary like um is we're seeing like folks like right people like ask me a lot like oh we're, like where's your dream location and I think like I'm rooted here because I want to be here right I, I chose I chose to live here right like right it was a choice I made I like turned down like other cities I turned down jobs in Chicago I turned down jobs in in New Orleans, but what we're seeing is like a renaissance, is like a rebirth of like black organizing in the Midwest. Like, right, we think about the Midwest, we think it's it's fairly white, but we're seeing like that. I was just on a call with folks, and we we're talking about that, and also like another like underrepresented place and space and like organizing and like what we think is important and what parts of the country we think is important. We're seeing a renaissance and like, or not a renaissance because it's always been there, but we're seeing seeing more attention given to our organizer our organizing friends um in the south in the, in, in the black south so i think it's like really um cool to like start thinking about building some of that camaraderie about uh, across space and then the other thing i was gonna say is that um one thing that was interesting is Devin and i grew up in 2014 like that was like the year for i believe a lot of change like i believe that a lot of things people said to you and i are things that could probably get them fired to this day <laughs> you know i think that a lot of, yeah, 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 a lot of things, like, for instance, we were, like, people are always, like, why are you so white? Like, uh, I remember people would always tell us, like, you're, you're only getting scholarships because you're black and shit like that. And I think that um, it's interesting now that, like, people that talk like us and people that act like us, people oh, oh, a lot of times used to say, sometimes you'll still hear that, like, oh, they're not, like, really black. But in my opinion, the blackest shit you can do is be active. Like, no one was like, yo, Martin Luther King, you're so eloquent. You're not black. Like, I, that was something that I think skipped which is kind of like Malcolm X, like the like the articulate black man somehow became corny. Like, it's just the comprehensive like experience of blackness and what that means. I think like one of the things that like I think about like they're black folk of all all kinds and like and and I think like right, um, you know, there's they're black migrants. So, you know what I mean? They're black queer folk. They're black, all like trans folk. They're all these different people and like. And I think blackness holds us together, but it's such a broad title. So I think it's like really fun to like think about like just how comprehensive and expansive that term, that term blackness truly is. Interesting, interesting. And then one one last thing before we're gonna quickly, Devin and I, we agree on a lot of things, but we also have disagreed on a lot of things. So maybe we'll see some of these things that we do disagree on in this podcast. So I'm gonna play some clips. Devin's gonna give us some honest reactions. This will hopefully spark some conversation. So tell me if you can hear this. Let's see. Let's. Let's go. Let's go. Good. Yeah. Good to see you. Same here. You know, you know, I've been critical of you. Um, I, I have a few things I want to talk to you about. Today. I know you have. Yeah. You don't know me. No, I don't. That's why I want to get to know you today. I want to get to know you today. 
Uh, I want to talk to you about Ooh, Devin. Do you have a computer? Because a huge part of this, if you're if you're not watching, this, a huge part of this is his face. So if you have a computer, like try to see if you can like pull this up and mute it for uh, on your computer. Oh yeah, what what's the name? Just of the type in Joe Biden, um, Charlemagne the God. Okay, what what minute are you at? Uh, I'm at about nineteen, you so you'll, you'll get the general idea. Nineteen seconds. It's only nineteen seconds. Minutes. Oh, nineteen yep, yep. seconds. We'll kind of start at the beginning, skip to the middle, and then go towards the end. Okay. Yeah, just keep me posted. I'll have my computer. All right, cool, cool. Um, But I got to get through this ad. Yeah. I do not have uh, the premium. 19 seconds, you said? Right at 19 seconds. All right. All right, Ben. Go for it. Mostly black stuff. But, you know, first of all, how are you? How's your family during this quarantine? Thank God everybody's doing well. How about you and your family? Man, we over here blessed, black, and highly favored, man. Well, I'll tell you what, the black community is getting killed, though. That is very, very true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I heard you chuckle, but I laughed. I think this first part, what do you think about that? Just the first 30 seconds. You know, I think, like, it just sounded smug and, like, and like somewhat like insincere, I think like again, what he said wasn't wrong. Like, right, we can look at it. Um, we can look at just a lot of a lot of um, different articles and like and and stuff about like how COVID in this moment has like um, has impacted Black folk more than other folks in terms of death rate and things like that, and infection rate. Um, so he's not wrong in that. It just sounded smug. And I guess, like, the question is, like, right, what's the solution? Like, right, I've been saying for the last, like, six weeks now that is because, like, or, like, not just me, but a lot of folks on the ground is because, because like, Black folk are, like, more likely to be in prison. And we're seeing, like, jails and prisons are, like, COVID hotspots. You can go look at, like, some of the biggest hotspots, prisons. We're talking about how... um just the medical the medical industrial complex let's call it what it is like right it's a multi-billion dollar like industry maybe trillion at this point and we're seeing the ways in which black folk aren't aren't getting the same treatment and and like in many ways in milwaukee on the north side of milwaukee there's only one there's only one hospital and they're trying to cut services there so we're seeing a disinvestment in black health like right before covid and so in this moment it, it's extra. Um, it, it's exaggerated, right? We can talk about that. We can talk about how black folk are more likely to be a, our essential workers. Folks, like right before this moment, we didn't think we're essential. We didn't think they were worthy of fifteen dollars. But in this moment, they are in many ways keeping this economy like strung together. They're keeping food on folks' table, and so we're seeing that moment that that all play out as well. So like. Biden's point is like it sounds smug and disingenuous, but like that, like we all know. Black folk are getting killed, but you're running for president. What are your solutions? What are your tangible solutions to 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 intervene in this? I think this whole interview is going to give you. It's it's going to make you say, "Well, is he wrong?" I think this whole interview is that. But let's keep going. Let's keep going. First thirty seconds. That is very true. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of right wing media outlets. They they question you. They question your cognitive health. They don't they don't think (laughs) they don't think everything's working upstairs. What what do you say to that? I said I can hardly wait to meet with that guy who is the stable genius. <laughs> There's nothing stable about that guy. <laughs> you know, one, one, one thing I've been critical about is I feel like you've been like MIA during this global pandemic. You know, it's people like Governor Cuomo here in New York who have become political stars simply because we see and hear from them every day. So I'm just, I'm just like, how, I'm, I'm wondering how you're going to energize people and win a campaign from the house. Well, I tell you what, I'm doing. I'm I'm following the rules, man. True. Number one, I'm keeping the rules. My governor says he doesn't want us out. I haven't been out. I wear my mask. I have a mask. I got Secret Service outside. I walk outside. I have it on. They get tested. And by the way, I'm beating them across the board. Mm-hmm. 160 million people have watched me so far on shows like yours. Okay. All the stuff about it hurting me. It's not hurting me. I'm winning in all those states. I'm ahead in all national polls. And uh, the more he talks, the better off I am. Pause. All right. So I want to I want to just say one thing that's interesting. This video has over a million views, and this has only been out for about uh, about a day. The other interesting thing is it has 13,000 dislikes, which is more and 8,000 likes or 9,000 likes almost, and which is more than 
more dislikes than both Hillary Clinton interviews. Not quite combined yet, but it's on that track. So I just want to let people know that just objectively, that's what we're looking at. In the comments, also, you will not find a positive comment easily in these. So uh, one of the things that people keep mentioning is that he, he, you'll hear it, he keeps saying man a lot. That's interesting. I, people like to get offended at things. I mean, I don't know. But then the other thing is, what is, what is that last thing he just said? Let's play that back for just a sec. National poll. And uh, the more he talks, the better off I am. What do you think about that? You know, I think like, right. I, I remember like earlier in the quarantine, I had a, I had a conversation with, 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 with a great like organizer and activist. And one of the things they talked about is, um, is like, like we deserve a vision, like, right. And I think like, right. Him saying like, the more he talks, the better I'm doing. Well, that like may be true, like, right. I think Donald Trump, like we know he can easily self-destruct, but like your silence, like, I think like, right. I think Audrey Lord talks about like silence won't save us. Um, and, and so we need like a vision forward and we need like policies that will meet our needs. Like, right. The work I do, I don't do it because it's like, fun like i enjoy it but it's to improve the quality of life of our people and myself like my quality of life with our people and so so just like status quo is not enough for us we know that like right we've always known status quo for black folk ain't enough we need to move forward to to really cut down some of these disparities and to say what he's the rhetoric he's using he, he hasn't run a campaign with vision he's run a campaign he's run a, a, a overly safe campaign he's run a campaign trying not to lose but like our people in this moment, we deserve vision mm. and a way forward. Okay. We, we know polls polls can be illusions, though. Like, you know, we, we looked at all the polls in 2016, too, and look what happened. Totally different, man. 2016 is totally different. What you had then is you had somebody who didn't, they didn't know it all. They wanted to just change the system the way it was. He was the biggest change. He had no serious opposition that turned out to materialize. And uh, so it's totally different. Right now, we're in a situation where it's like, you know, that Carney show goes through town once and you find out there's no pee under any one of those three shelves that get pushed around. Pause. Now, this isn't a... <laughs> this is just a funny little point. Uh, if you do go to a carnival, those people are doing magic tricks. It's my specialty is all I know. There always is a pee. I just want to let you know. Just, 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 just for the metaphor, there always is a pee. They just hide the pee. But that's good. <laughs> Just because that's the only thing I know about. All right, continue. Next time it comes back, what do you do? Next time it comes back, you ain't playing. You got to figure it out. Okay. And let me tell you something. My community figured it out a while ago. But here's the deal. What I have to do is I have to continue to talk about the things that matter. And the things that matter are, for example, right now there's a study out of Columbia University and the Disease Control Center up there. They pointed out that if he had listened to me and others and acted just one week earlier to deal with this virus, there'd be 36,000 fewer people dead, dead, dead. Okay, you guys can't see this, but they zoomed in three times on his face, dead, dead, dead. <laughs> now, again, Biden isn't necessarily saying anything but it's the way he's saying it. What do you what do you just think of the optics of this? You know, I think like a lot of politics is like based on optics, like, mm. to be honest. Like right. Uh, right, like it like it gives you a feeling. Like politics is about feeling. Um I'm not like overly into optics. I think like again, like he's saying stuff that's factually correct he's not like, wrong is he wrong that's like, the debate I, that we're having this whole time forward. what are your solutions what's yeah i want a vision for it. what are your solutions like critiques of, of donald of, of president or trump or whatever you want to call him 45 alone are not enough and like for our people like we know that and so i really would love to see him put forward a, a policy right. so we're gonna skip a little bit because he kind of talks about covid a little bit a few different studies and they talk kind of talk a little bit about his past politics and what he supported back in i believe uh like the 70s or something like that but we're gonna go let's say it around uh 702 seven 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 oh two all right so so you guys will follow along we're telling you the timestamps. so around seven minutes shows me way ahead 
And it's not just, I hear this, oh, yeah, old blacks are with Biden, but youngs aren't. Look at the polling data. Polling data, let's say it's off by half. Come on, man. Give me a little break here. This is where I come from. I got involved. I came home from college, and I had a job with a really fancy law firm out of law school. And my city is the only city in America occupied by the National Guard, the military, for 10 months when Dr. King was shot. And I had this fancy job, a kid coming from a, from a lower middle-income household. I quit and became a public defender. And I stayed in that community. I was the only guy when I was in high school. I had a job, a country club kind of job with a, at a swimming pool. I was the only white employee in the east side because I wanted to work in the projects, because I wanted to understand. That's how I got involved in the politics. Okay, so this is, I feel like I know what you're going to say. I feel like you're going to say <laughs> white folk love bringing up the fact that they knew Martin Luther King. <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> but again, I want to stress that we're really picking this apart. We're very critical people. And you can do this with any interview before I ask you what you think. But yes, uh, what do you think about this? this little chunk. Again, I think like, right, I think what you do have done in the past like matters to some degree, right? But like, it's not enough. Like, like I, I was critical like when Bernie Sanders and his campaign kept saying he marched with Dr. King. Dude, that's 50 years ago. Thank you. Like, thank you for your service. But like, so many of our people need a way forward. They want to look forward. And not to say we forget the past, like I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is like in 50 years, like in five years, I've changed like a lot. So just imagine 50 years and, and sort of like use your bona fides from 50 years ago. For me, it doesn't like it doesn't move me like like what do you want a cookie? Like good for you, I yeah. guess. Like it's interesting, though, because Devin is among one of the most informed people and the probably the most informed people person I know. So the lens that you look at this is very different from the lens of the average black person watching this or just the average person in general. So I just want to keep that in mind also as we go forward. But continue, continue. Eight minutes. That's what this is all about for me. It's about equality. It's about dignity. It's about treating people with respect. It's not wrong. And so, you know, when you take a look at my record, people talk about the crime bill. Crime bill didn't increase mass incarceration. Other things increased mass incarceration. And the reason why, if you go back and look, and I know you talk about it, you go back and take a look. That's why you had the vast majority of the black caucus at the time supporting the crime bill. Almost every major city black mayor supported the crime bill because blacks were getting killed overwhelmingly as well. And what happened when that crime bill? It had pause. I want to make a note. I want to make a note that if you don't want people to pick apart what you're going to say for any future politicians, no one says blacks <laughs> with good intentions. It, even if you do have good intentions, the optics of it, which are important, not, even though you might not care about optics, even though you're a smart person and that might be, you can look past it, people care about optics. And I think, I think that when you... <laughs> That's a big comment, a big thing in the comment, the way he says blacks. It doesn't didn't bother me necessarily, but it's I think that's uh that's important for people to realize that people care. Mm. Yeah. Four or five really important things. Now the Violence Against Women Act. It said drug court. Don't send anybody who has a drug problem to jail. Send them to rehabilitation, to a drug court. It had in it that had the, uh, the assault ban, getting rid of assault weapons, getting rid of the round, the number of rounds you have in a gun. It also had in it a whole range of other things, but that things I didn't like. Clinton wanted to put in a deal where, in fact, three strikes and you're out. I opposed that three strikes and you're out bill. I opposed the position taking that, saying that you're going to have any mandatory sentences. But on balance, the whole bill... What happened was it did, in fact, bring down violent crime in black communities. Now, for some context, pause. Uh, Charlemagne asked right before this why he supported the crime bill in his past. So he's trying to he's trying to explain why he may have supported a bill that may or may not have been the best for black people. So this is what Charlemagne is listening to as well. And guess what? The fact is prison population 
didn't increase. 94% of every prisoner in jail is in a state prison, not a federal prison, no federal law. And here's the deal. The one thing I opposed in that bill was people wanting to give money to state prisons to build more prisons. I opposed it. But the point was, on balance, everything from the assault women's ban to the violence against women bags to the drug courts, they were important. And now, look what we can do. Look, I've been pushing, along with my colleagues in a black caucus, United States Congress, we should change the entire, and I've been doing this for a while, change the entire prison system from one that is punishment to rehabilitation. There's only a couple things everybody has in common in jail. One is they were <laughs> the victims of abuse of their kids were, or, their, or, their, or, their, or their mother was. Number two, can't read. Number three, <laughs> they don't have any job skills. They were in a position where they didn't get a chance. Why does it make sense? Why did I come along and write the first act that said, when you get out of prison, you don't just get a notion where you get 25 bucks and a bus ticket. You end up under the bridge. You end up under the bridge and just do the same place. So every single solitary person being released from prison should have access to every single government program. Again, it's not wrong. Does that make sense to have African-Americans who are getting out of prison who <clears throat> serve their time, everybody for that matter, be able to have public housing? Why does it make sense that they can have Pell Grants to go to school? Why does it make sense they can have access to health care? What are we, nuts? That's what we keep doing. Yeah, so I, sorry, that's uh, that's our time there. No, no. I, now this is interesting because this is hap This happens, I believe, three times in the interview. They try to say that's their time because apparently his wife had to go on at six for another interview. But I believe that they see where this is going, and I think that Joe Biden also. We're not used to him talking. We're kind of used to him fist bumping and smiling. So, like, what do you think now that this is the most I've ever heard him talk? So, so I'll give like, I'll react to like what he said, and then I'll give a quick personal anecdote, actually about about Vice President Biden. Um, so so like right, I think like so the crime bill, and I think like I think he, he he did a decent job laying out what's in it, but I think like right, we know the lens I like look at like criminal legal system reform from is not the same lens as, as Joe Biden. So like, no matter what he says, like, no matter what any politician says, I'm gonna be critical of him. Like, no matter, like, if you're on my side or not, I'm gonna be critical on him because so many of the folks who are still in office, and like, we can talk about this local level or federal level, like, right, we saw the critiques against Kamala Harris because she was a, she was a former prosecutor and, and she helped put people away. We see the critiques against um, Senator Klobuchar for, for a lot of reasons, but including she was also a former prosecutor. And so with the crime bill, and like, you can literally draw lines and like I'm reading like Angela Davis's um, Freedom is a Constant Struggle right now. And I think she's making comparison because it, it really did like, it gave uh, police departments militarized equipment. That militarized equipment, they're most likely gonna, gonna use against black and brown people. And like Ferguson's an example. <laughs> you had you had police acting like in, in a military in a in a, in a in a military capacity with tanks like like literally coming down the street, and so the crime bill was terrible. But like it also had some decent things, and even like the Violence Against Women's Act, I think like even a lot of us in like in movement work would take a different approach to some of the things in it. But but. But, but to his point, like, it's it's an error thing. And so I think, like, wrestling with, like, right, it's 1994. We're, like, let's just set up some context. We're coming off, um, we're coming off eight years of Reagan, four years of Bush. And then we have, um, and then we have Bill Clinton who runs out, he, he runs as a moderate. He, he runs as a moderate Democrat. Um, I don't know if it happened before or after they just, like, got shellacked in the election and lost the House, uh, the House of, of Representatives. But, but this tough on crime mantra, like really we're only seeing that finally start to dissolve over, over the last, in terms of like by politicians, right? right movement folk, like right, folk, uh, academics have always been talking about abolition, a world without jails and prisons, a world without police. But we're finally seeing this stance taken, tough on crime wins election. Like, right, nobody wants to live next to a criminal, right? And so I think like wrestling 
with like the politics of criminal justice from like the 90s and like and, and I, like how it comes into play today is very interesting for me and I think we, we should be critical and ask Joe Biden questions about has he changed his stance and, he, and, and he's defending himself in like many ways and in a harsh way but he should be getting to like what he wants to do about like how he wants to reform the criminal yeah, we are out of today. we are out of time in the video there, like not our I, video but in their video they're out of time and essentially he hasn't talked about anything that he wants to do he's kind of spent the whole time qualifying his reason for being there in, in my opinion and you're, and you're right and so i think that's what's disappointing for me as somebody is like yes own up to it say it's a bad bill like he's trying to defend it and you can't so defend what it in, is. In 30 seconds yeah. or less, because a lot of us aren't, um, a lot of us aren't, I, it was before my time. So I don't really even know exactly what the crime bill is and get the context clues from this uh, video, but we didn't play the whole video. Can you explain uh, just quickly what the crime bill did or what it was? Yeah, so it was a bill in 94. And like, like he said, it, it did have like broad, broad, um, broad approval. But in the bill was more money for um, for for local police force. In the bill, like he talked about the street three strikes. So if you get three felonies, I think it's like you automatically get twenty five to life or something like something very similar to that. Talk about mandatory minimum for drugs. So it took away discretion from judges. So like basically, no matter if it was my first time um, in, in the courtroom or if I had like a crap ton of other ex- expenses, the judge judge's hands were tied and basically said, well, you have to do. Um, this preset amount of, of, of prison time and, and, it, and it was really long and, and, and then it also like in some ways it like it lessened um, to some degree I believe like the opportunity of like early release or you had to serve uh, like a higher percentage of that that time your sentence so it really um, it really it really provided like I said extra funding and equipment and like I think the equipment part is really important as we talk about like local police forces um, and it really like um, put put in place stricter punishment for for offenses, mm-hmm. and including drug offenses. So right now, if you're, hmm? but it was a huge bill. It was a huge bill, and like you said, he highlighted some of the some some of the decent things in it. But on whole, it really impacted Black and Brown communities, and, and we have to be we have to. Be okay, honest. so uh, we're right now. For if you're watching, we're at around eleven twenty. So we're gonna see. Uh, if he has anything, if he keeps talking about this, or if he I'm goes sorry, on. I know Jill has to use this, but I, I want I talk too much. I apologize. No, let me. I got. I got to ask you though. You know, why so much resistance on admitting the crime bill and, and other legislation you are a part of was damaging to the black community? Because we had Hillary on a few years ago, and Miss Clinton said that the crime bill made. We made a lot of mistakes with that, and she wanted to atone for that by becoming the next president. Like she was wrong. What happened was it wasn't the crime bill. It was the drug legislation. It was the, insti- the institution of mandatory minimums, which I oppose. Mandatory minimums. I thought you create. I thought you were, uh, was a part of that in '84 as well, the Comprehensive Crime Control Act that established mandatory minimum sentences for drug offenses. No, no. What happened was, you're, what you're confusing is what what happened was the Black Caucus came to me and said, "Look." Now, I want to pause it here just because he's just talking about his past actions and defending something that happened or may or may not happen 30 years ago. So I don't find this to be super relevant for the conversation today. So I'm just going to fast forward through this part because it's, you know, what he's going to say. He's going to be like, yeah, whatever I did wasn't that bad or was helpful or blah, blah, blah. You know, so we're just going to fast forward through this. And I want to see if I can find the part where he looks animated. Let's see. Maybe 1430. Let's skip to 1430. Let's see if he stops talking about that. Of representation but the bottom line is the other piece is i'm going to try to change and i've laid it out i'll send you a copy of my plan so you have it to see every it. voice pardon me what deliver every voice or what no the one that i the plan i have is my manifesto for black america and a spend particularly the portion of it that relates to how in fact we're going to deal with the prison system now, the word manifesto has never had a positive connotation, in my opinion. And, and maybe he should have had a publicist give it a different name. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Again, Mike, 
Oof. I don't really care. Like I like I, I I really don't care about what he says. I think like in some degree, like right. I think we're gonna talk about it maybe later because we already have it. Might be a long one. Might be a long but one. But we're gonna talk about it. It's like yeah, we're gonna talk about like again. Like, are his interventions ever gonna be big enough? And like, I would say no. And I think like one of the things that like right, I'm like I'm an unapologetic like. I'm to the left of every major candidate that's run, period. Like, I'm, I'm to the left of them. Um, so, like, is an intervention good enough? No. And, like, was his word choice probably the most um, precise? No. And, it, and I think it just shows in many ways, like, and I don't think we're going to get into this, but, like, the mediocrity of him as a candidate and, like, just, like, what it takes. Like, like let, let's, let's, let, let's be very honest about it. We have two... 75 plus year old people and like i'm not saying that like as yeah he's 77 for to, sure to older folks because like that's not what i'm doing um but what i'm what i'm saying is we have like two like white men um who's, who's have records longer longer than anybody and in many like in many ways bad records longer than most people and they're the two people we determine were the two most qualified people to run for president in this cycle and for me, that 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 like highlights all the ways in which race, like race, come into play. Like, um, obviously, like you know, compared to other folks, and 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 gender. Let's let's like let's name that. We had um, women candidate who who did not do well this or did not make it as far as their resume deserved them making it in the cycle. So I think it's like it's also like it's also a critique. Yeah, and again, we're just nit- we're nitpicking just. In my opinion, like you might like a person, a politician or someone who's informed might say this doesn't matter. Let's get to the crux of the issue. But in my opinion, when your goal is a po- as a politician, you're a rhetorician. Right? Your words matter. And when an election comes as close as it came before, you can't afford to be offending small groups of people because those small groups of people turn into 50,000 people. That turns into 100,000 people. That turns into 200,000 people. So that's why. But we'll skip to the end. And this is literally the last, I believe 30 seconds is the reason why I, I saw this interview. I really don't think I would have seen this interview like in this quickly if it wasn't for this 30 seconds. So we'll talk, we'll go to 1735. That's where we are if you're following along, 1735, let's see. I extended the voting racks 25 years. I have a record that is second to none. The NAACP has endorsed me every time I've run. The world, I mean, come on, take a look at the record. All right, thank you so much. I really oh, this was a little bit too late. We're gonna go back. We're gonna go back to let's say seventeen. Let's say seventeen, seventeen minutes exactly, because he says a very important like little monologue here. Let's see. We don't thank get so much. That's really our time. I apologize. You can't do that to black media. You I can't do that to white media and black media because my wife has to go on at six o'clock. Okay. Oh, oh, I'm in trouble. Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. I will. A, it's a long way until November. We got more questions. You got more questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black, it don't have nothing to do with Trump. It has to do with the fact I want something for my community. I would. So that that's that's the infamous quote unquote sound bite. The infamous infamous sound bite. Yeah. Yeah. First off, so like I was gonna tell the story earlier, but I, t- I sort of forgot it until now. So when I was in DC for a semester, um, we actually ran. We were leaving Union Station, and we actually ran. Our whole class was like, we're going to meet with somebody. <laughs> oh, really? We ran into Vice President Biden, and so like one of the things about it. Yes, yeah. He loves conversation, and like he was actually, I think he was going back to get on a to get an Amtrak back to to Delaware, and like he like was talking to us for a couple of minutes, like, and um, and like his people, like he's always behind schedule. He loves to talk. He's always behind schedule. So for me, that like maybe just because I knew the story, like his people, his body people are literally pulled him away, and he's still talking. So maybe like I'm not as critical as that. But let's get into the crux of it. That if, if you're not voting for me. Um, in this, you're not black, and I think I think right that's very insulting to black folk, right? And I think it's very insulting for a couple of reasons, like right, like are black, like I keep talking about it, 
status quo ain't good enough for us. Like, we need to see, like, right, we deserve to see and we need to see improvements in our life. And so, look, Trump's terrible, period. Is Biden better than Trump? I'd say yes. But is that enough? Like, right? Just because I get, like, right, just because Trump's a 58 on a test and I get a 65 on the test, that doesn't mean I did good, right? Doesn't mean, like, when I come home, my parents still aren't going to be mad at me, right? And so we, like, what, what Black folk are saying is, like, yeah, like, yes, you, you have a long record. Own it. Own it. Apologize for it. And let, let, let's figure out a way, like, forward with you putting out a vision that meets our needs in this moment. And Biden hasn't done that. And so for me, that's critical. To the point, like, we can get into a lot of it. Um, and like one of the things I was saying before, like, does it mean you're not Black if you don't vote for Biden? Absolutely not. Like, we talked about it, like, right? Black folk and Blackness is, like, so expansive. And, like, let's not forget, like, not all Black, like, right, not all Black folk are eligible to vote. Like, right, we can't forget about our Black migrants. We also, like, have to acknowledge the ways in which, like, like, can Black people be anti-Black? Yeah, like, do people vote against their interests? Yes. Can Black people be anti-Black? Yes. Like, can Black people vote along with Trump? Um, and, like, that's the job of organizers. That's the job of conversation, to some degree, is we have to, like, we have to build, like, stronger movements and bring more people in. But we also have to get candidates that, that are going to make a material difference in our life. And I think Joe Biden's like flippant nature around it and like Joe Biden's like cavalier nature like really throughout this whole interview shows that like, right, he knows what his base is. And I think and in many ways, like we talk about like the Breakfast Club, we like dig about the demographic, they probably skew younger, they probably skew like what, blacker and browner. And he knows he, he knows he has to make like he has to make some strides there, right? Compared to like the older black demographic who are who are anti-Trump and very like I'd say pretty solidly for Biden, right? And I think his whole attitude throughout it, he's like, he's coming to like this interview like it's a fight. Like he's he's trying to throw like haymakers. And really he needs to come into this interview with like Ooh. listening ears about the wrongs he, he's done in the past and like a lot more like apologetic. And so, like, right there, you're seeing it. We also have to acknowledge, like, right, who this interview is between. Like, let's not act like Charlemagne has a sparkling clean record, right? Let's not act like Charlemagne doesn't have flaws. And I'm not saying this to, to like, demean Charlemagne. But, but, but what I'm saying is, like, we have an interview between Charlemagne and Joe Biden. And I think, like, even, like, Charlemagne's point of view sometimes leaves folk out in, like, in, in this in this in the black universe and like who's who's black sometimes right with some of his rhetoric so i think it's like it's an interesting thing there like we don't see angela yee at all right and angela yee is like she man angela comes like angela yee comes very you would say angela yee like comes prepared like dynamic there but overall you say angela yee usually comes what? prepared yeah i think she i think she does a a wonderful job but like asking some some tough questions that speak maybe a little bit more to like hmm. what we'd consider like women's issues. But but I think it's I think it's like it's interesting. Like, right, this is a sit down with the, like and, and Angela's not there. I think that's I did I think when I saw the interview, like when I saw or heard about it, I was a little like, hmm, that's interesting in itself. So I think it's like is Joe Biden a a good candidate? I've said it like multiple times. I don't think so. Like, will I vote for Joe Biden? Like more probably more than likely, I'd imagine I would. It, like, right? Um, but like, do I know like the limitations of politics? Yeah. And I think that's like talking about like some of the growth I've had, like right when I was in high school, I was not going to do it. And I was like, oh, these politicians are great. But like now we're seeing the limitations of politicians. Like, right. One of the things we like, I say often, and I think I got it from like, I think I got it from Audrey Lord is like, these laws won't save us. Like, right. There was never a point in time where, where laws, the intervention of law was like, was the, you know what I mean? Like lift black folk um, economically, socially forward in, in like many ways. I and mean, we can talk about like some of the Civil Rights Act, which were like really good. And I think they did it. But we know we always needed more. And like I said, so politics won't save us. Like we know the interventions we ask for, we demand come from the left of politics. So Bernie Sanders represented the leftist plank of the Democratic Party um, in this cycle and in 2016. But like he didn't go far enough 
in some of the ways, right? He didn't go far. His interventions weren't strong enough. We're saying, like, and you go to the movement for Black Lives, which, like, they do, like, incredible work. Like, we're saying, and, like, a lot of folks, organizers are saying, free them all. And then things along that nature to, like, really transform and build a brand new society. So Joe Biden in this moment... He, 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 like, he fails to realize, he fails to take into consideration the Black radical tradition, which he's, he's so radically different from. He fails to take into consideration that Black folk have always been on the front line of movement. He fails to take into consideration that our politics, the Black politic, is to the left and, and in many ways significantly to the left of them. And even though older folk who are voting for him, they vote for him because because they, they really, really despise Trump. Like my answer is they really despise Trump. But their politic, when you when you talk to them and you get to the root of their politic, their politic is to, way to the left of them. And so what he's like, he's like, when he's trying to like sell himself, you're not black when you vote for me, or or like if you you don't vote for me, he's failing to acknowledge and comprehend that like he has to move his policy to the left. Because we deserve it. We're the we're like black folk are like the backbone of the Democratic Party. We can link lean into that. And black women are really the backbone of the Democratic Party. And he hasn't he hasn't done enough. And in this interview, um, we missed it though. I just want to let you know that he did, he does say, which is a slightly interesting. Charlemagne actually brings up the fact that so many people want Joe Biden to have a black woman VP running mate. And uh, he said that, are you like, do you have one? And he goes, I want you to know multiple black women are being considered, which you probably, and I would also say is, is isn't strong enough. He could just say, yes, I, I definitely like that. I can do that, you know, and that would make him happy. You know, a lot of us have but we, anything. But we also, we also have to ask ourselves this question. So like, right, so Joe Biden makes this huge mess, huge mess. Like, right, we, we agree him saying this. This interview is a mess. The first person from his campaign to try to defend him and clean up the mess is Simone Sanders, who's a Black woman. And we have to ask ourselves, should Black black women always be cleaning up the mess of white, white, white people, and more specifically in this example, white men? And so I think a lot of people, too, took that as the end, like, as another misstep. Like, why, is, why are we sending, why are we, we throwing out Simone Sanders, like, I'm not saying that, but that's how it's like perceived. We're throwing out Simone Sanders with a mop, you know, a broom and a mop and saying, clean this up. And that, again, highlights the ways in which Black folk, and like, let's, let's like name it more specifically, Black women are, 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 are used in, in, in political arena. So having, is having a Black woman candidate enough for me? No, would I like to see it? Yes, I, I definitely like to see it. I'd, I'd love to, to see it. But is it enough? No, he has to put forward, like, right, he has to put forward an agenda, he has to make amends, he has to show growth on some of these issues and, like, some of these microaggressions that we see in order. Yeah, yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Does that make sense? There's, um, there, I guess there's two things that I wanted to note, maybe one. The first thing is that Joe Biden, I think, he... Again, this is the first time we've heard him talk this much, I think. I've never I've never heard him talk this much. I had no idea he talks like this. If he doesn't talk like this, that's something that could throw a lot of people off. And just I mean, my main problem isn't the the policies or the lack of policies in this interview, because I think that there is a good thing and I think there is benefit in, in, in interviews for people to just show personality. You know, I think Obama won a lot on personality. I think a lot of people in general win on personality. And I think it's good for him to show it to people. However, he showed he was a little too, uh, I don't know if the term is, I don't know if it's careless. He says cavalier. Like, I just think one thing that the, everyone keeps saying is that uh, he takes us, oh, yeah, did you the black folk, for granted. He thinks he's already in the bag. And one article I read is something interesting where it's black voters and Democrats in general just deserve more than not Trump. You know what I mean? And I really like that line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's like what I'm getting at too. We deserve an agenda, an agenda, and like even like even even the way Charlotte Maine talks about an agenda is different than I'm talking about agenda. Like right, and like that's a whole another podcast. But we deserve um, to have a material needs met, and like we deserve reparations. Like, like like let's like let's be very clear about meaning that we deserve all full, like all types of rep reparations. But um, but but. 
like, yes. And like, we can like talk, like, again, if we think party politics is enough, like, like, like I don't know. I, I definitely don't think that. That's why, like, for me, it's so important to join an organization. That's why, for me, it's so important to, like, I, like, I throw this, like, liner up, to find politi- uh, political homes or, or places where you can go to, to grow your understanding of how we got there, to grow your, your knowledge. Like, right, I didn't come to this analysis overnight. I came to this analysis sitting in a room with, with friends and comrades at college and, and even today and having conversations and pushing and pulling to figure out like right when I when I went to college I was a like I was a I was a pretty standard Democrat. I was a center left Democrat. And when I left it, I said the Democratic Party is not close to being enough. The the way in which they use um black women, let's name that as mules. We saw that in Alabama and like some of some of the analysis. Like we see this thank you black women, thank you black women for delivering us Alabama. But we, what we don't see is black women's needs being materially met in an agenda. We don't see black people's needs being materially met in an agenda. So I don't want your thank you, right? And I think that's why people are fed up because what, what they say is one thing and what they do is, is another thing. And what they do oftentimes is anti-black. And we have to, or, or, or fails to acknowledge the, the like I, I keep saying, the expansiveness of what blackness is. And so they exclude some of our people. And like, like, um, I'm, like I'm also like to the left of me is a book like by uh, Kianga Yamata Taylor. It's like how we get free. We get free through, through collective struggle and bringing every person along. And too often politics doesn't do that because it's unpopular. Mm. So we leave folk out, trans folk, gay folk, folk who, who live their life consistently on the margin, we leave them out because it's unpopular and we think it's going to hurt our numbers. And so that's why like really like a big critique of politics and my like my critique of politics is that it's leaving too many people behind. It'll never get us free. That's why we have to build something new, different. And like a lot of times that comes from like on the ground collective grassroots organizations. That's why like it's important to me to be involved on the ground, listening to what folks are talking about and trying to find ways to get those needs met. Okay, all right. I think That's we're going to cut this. I'm probably going to cut this into two podcasts, I think, um, before we get into the other one, if you still have time. But I, I want to go like, I want to give you like a minute. I want to take a minute to just explain the overall, my overall view of this interview. I think it's interesting because you have much more of a political, you have a more policy-based um, opinion, and I have more of a rhetoric-based opinion. So I think, if I was going to say in 60 seconds or less, I think that Joe Biden, as I said, is taking the Black vote for granted, but he's showing it so obviously in this interview, and he really doesn't have room to be doing this. Maybe in a different election, he could have, like, got away with this, but I think that him knowing that it's still, like, 50% favor for Trump, he really can't be splitting hairs with with anybody, any groups, because those will be the groups that make or break him in this election. I think him uh, just just also being very, it's stupid to chat. You don't want to challenge stupid people. And in every community, there's stupid people. So the last thing you want is for someone to say, oh, he thinks I ain't black. Oh, hell not. And like not vote for him just because of that. And for him to take that chance, whether or not people do it, for him to take that chance I think is really, really stupid. And I think that's why I think that this is the defining moment because he's not Trump. You know, if you watch that documentary with the grabber and the pussy shit, if you watch that documentary, um, I can't remember which one it was, but they had this quote where they're saying like, we thought that was it. We thought that was it. We thought we won. We were celebrating. And they didn't realize that Trump had this thing where he can say whatever the fuck he wants and no one cares. But Democrats are not like that. Liberals are not like that. And I think that, also, like, I think stupid, stupid people that are conservative are, are willing to just vote anyway, while stupid people who are liberal aren't willing to like be like, well, what's really more beneficial? They just won't they just won't vote. Conservatives have a higher voter t- turnout because they just care more, in my opinion, I think. So that's that's my that's my one minute synopsis. What would you say? I think I would say like, right. There's so many folk like. Like came into this knowing that like Joe Biden wasn't enough, right? That that his agenda wasn't bold enough. His agenda would not like materially make a difference in our lives. Like we knew this arena we call politics, and more specifically presidential politics, would never would never deliver the the change we knew. And I think this was just an example. 
of it. And I think he came, like I said, he probably came with like, he came trying to win support and it backfired. And I think like, um, I think like, it's just interesting. It's very interesting. Do you like, think he had to win support? Um, I think he just had to maintain support. I think like, right, the, the rule of like, politics is like the way I see it. It's like, he's come into the Breakfast Club, like, right, he could have went to Al Sharpton. Well, he's already done Al Sharpton. But he feels like he has a gap in, in younger black and brown voters who, who are very important. Like, we're hearing more and more about, like, the young vote. And, like, we know that vote is um, more, more than older voters, I believe, is a little blacker and browner, right? And so he feels like he probably, like, right, he feels like he needs to win over some of those folk who, who are like, uh, you know, Joe Biden's really bad on the crime bill, like who who know a bit about his record, um, and know and know he hasn't like ma- like materially like changed their life and met their needs and actually has, has hurt them in their communities. So it feels like he has to win him over, and he comes in defending. He comes in on defense, defending his record a lot, which I guess like I don't know. He feels is important to do when he needs to come in with a listening ear. And he needs, like I said earlier, he needs to come in with a listening ear and being a lot more apologetic. Because for so many folks, like, right, they know Biden as, like, the reason, like, their family was broken up. Like, right? Like, the reason their, like, mom, dad wasn't around. The reason, like, right, the relationship they had with, like, somebody in their communities, uh, a relative, sorry, um, happened through, you know, through, through, through jails and prisons. And and then like right, I, and so I just feel like that's happening. I feel like he, he's he's like struggling a bit with young voters. We saw that in the primary, so he's he's trying to win those votes, and he just came in on defense in a way that he didn't have to. Mm-hmm. So I, it was a bad moment. It was a really bad day, and I think like you're right. I think we might look back to this day as maybe the day like that changed the whole thing because Trump is Trump is great. Trump is great at capitalizing on moments <laughs> like this. Like he's already selling T-shirts. This yeah, reminds me a little moment. bit of this moment. I know you so, remember. Like, it, it, uh, I think uh, in high school, we were uh, making a bunch of jokes in uh, what class was it? I can't remember. It was a math class we had together. And the teacher said, stop it. Stop it. You guys spend so much time working on your one-liners and you do not, you guys don't do homework. You <laughs> just basically say, we spent like so much time trying to make jokes. I really think he came in here intending to say that last line as a drop the mic moment. And I think it just didn't translate. And I think, yeah, I think that's what it was. I agreed. And I think like the reaction on, on Twitter was, was swift and, and pretty decisive against it. So, so. So we'll see what happens. I think, like, right, the beauty, the beauty for like Biden and his campaign is he still has like five months. And and this could get so, worse. Corona like could get drastically worse. Trump but could do something that totally fucks it up, and maybe people would be like, "There's a chance. There's a big chance. We've never been in this situation before." But yeah. So so it'll be interesting to see how he runs the rest of his campaign. And that's it. That is my interview with Devin Anderson. You might want a little bit more, but there's good news. We actually recorded upwards of two hours of content. And next week, we're talking about Tim Scott, the only black Republican senator, and his reaction to these comments by Joe Biden. In the same format, a video about the same length. We're going to watch it, and we're going to comment on this. We already did it. I can tell you it's fucking great. Watch that shit. I hope you guys like this. Make sure you follow at RJ the Magic Can. Subscribe to the podcast and all that shit. And I hope I see or I hope you, you listen for next week. It's gonna be another Thanks for listening to the I Hate Everyone podcast. I hate my passport. I hate my last name. I hate-